Hey there! Welcome to the Punch Like a Girl podcast. I'm Nathaniel. And I'm Liz. And this is the show where we take a look at graphic novels and trade collections with female protagonists. And this month we are taking a look at the first collected volume of She-Hulk, Dan Slott's run particularly. And this was long before we started doing this podcast. This is one of the first things I lent you. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so did you know anything about She-Hulk before I had given this to you to, to peruse? I knew she existed, and <laughs> I knew that I liked to to tell people, like males, when they were like being really strong or being like, Ur, I would like to tell them that he hulked, and they did not think that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been told that I have She-Hulked when I break things. <laughs> and that is that is that was my knowledge pretty much but yeah apparently you're not supposed to say someone he hulked something but i think you should be able to, I, <laughs> to see, differentiate seems only fair actually especially considering in the current comic she's just going by hulk now see so i i think the differentiation is probably necessary <laughs> um but yeah this particular run is i believe the first Five or six issues. Hold on. Yeah, six issues of this run. So they were written by Dan Slott. I'm going to burn through the art credits because there was actually an artist changeover after issue four. So the pencilers were Juan Babillo and Paul Pelletier. The inkers were Marcelo Sosa, Roland Paris, and then it was Tom Simmons with Dan Hillsman. Colorists were Chris Chuckry and then Avalon Studios. Uh, lettering was Virtual Calligraphy's Dave Sharp. The cover art was by uh, Addy Grano. And then there's assistant editors and editors and collection editors and da 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 da, da. You really want that stuff. There's st- a lot of people if, involved. If you really want to know that stuff, look it up. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this, this run gives a little bit of background on She-Hulk herself. Uh, basically, the main... The, the first issue establishes the her situation of being a lawyer, mm-hmm. you know, she, a practicing lawyer, as well as a superhero. Yep, they show her in college and yep, briefly we, as a flashback. And yep, and she she works hard and she parties hard. Yes, she does. And eventually, she, those two roles kind of collide in a bad way when she has a a big case she has a mistrial declared because it was argued by the opposing side that because she presented her arguments as she hulk that gave the jury an unfair bias in her favor because they know she's a superhero who saved the world Mm -hmm. so she gets booted from the law firm she's been with she gets rehired by a law firm that specializes in superhero law Mm Uh, and then we basically kind of deal with her first few cases. She has one involving a guy named Danger Man who gets powers but does not want them at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has, um, she handles Spider-Man suing the Daily Bugle. Um, she, There's the ghost case before that. Yep, she they brings in Doctor Strange for a case involving a ghost. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she has to she has to deal with Southpaw, who is a supervillain. And also her boss's daughter. Nope, granddaughter. I'm sorry, granddaughter. Um, 
and and then there's a there's a jailbreak involved in that that gets dealt with as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are kind of the broad strokes. I know I love the hell out of this thing. That's why I gave it to you to read before. But how was it for you reading this? I liked it. Um, I didn't love it. Um, there's a lot I liked. I liked the tone and the humor of it and that it was very meta at parts. Um, it kind of differentiated on a case-by-case basis of how much I liked it. Like, okay. I liked certain things. I liked the one with Danger Man. Mm-hmm. And I liked the ending story. Uh, the Daily Bugle Spider-Man one, although I enjoyed Spider-Man and it kind of bored me. And... I had some issues with the Briggs one because of all the, like, jealous lover crud going on. Okay. Um, I also wanted to clarify that even though she's a partier in, like, nowadays and stuff, or in the beginning of the story, back when she's in law school, she's working pretty hard and serious, so I almost feel like she's making up for it in it, a way. It kind of does give that impression because in that, that one-page flashback, she's, like, kind of glancing off at all the celebrating graduates very forlornly as she takes it as her dad takes this very somber picture of her holding her <laughs> diploma. diploma yeah poor, but then you dad. then you get the image of her wall in avengers mansion uh which she also gets kicked out of uh-huh. um but like that is the only picture of her as jennifer walters and every other picture on that wall mm-hmm. is her as she hulk so it's very clear where she gets her fun in life yes yes well i mean i think that would be fun to like have superhuman strength and you know it, hulk out essentially. <laughs> well, but and shred your clothes all the time. She is great at shredding her clothes. She is. Like, it's good thing she always wears that jumps like spandex jumpsuit. I'm assuming it's like some kind of expandable material because pro- everything around her shreds. I love it when her pantyhose shred in one scene. <laughs> it's probably unstable molecules. Um, it actually, the very first um, piece of art I ever commissioned mm-hmm. um, at at a Comic Con was of She Hulk, and I didn't ask for this particular caption box, but the guy who did it gave her, you know, had her like holding these shredded clothes and with a caption box. I lose more suits this way. <laughs> um, yeah. But I want to kind of come back because you mentioned the meta thing, because mm-hmm. um, that's actually a bit of a tradition with She Hulk. Because when she got her solo book in the 80s called Sensational She-Hulk, which I still haven't read, I need to, um, which was um, written and drawn by John Byrne, Mm -hmm. that one was flat out fourth wall breaking. Mm -hmm. Like she, at some point, I believe she actually exited the comic and threatened the artist because she didn't like what was going on. Or she'll like step across the panel lines Nice. And make a comment on that. I kind of like that she was, aspect of it. Honestly, she was a she was kind of Deadpool before Deadpool had even been created. Um, right. This one is not fourth wall breaking, but I would call it fourth wall leaning. Yes, <laughs> leaning it's, heavily. Yes, pushing the wall. <laughs> it's not it's not breaking it, but it's like it's like I'm just gonna brace myself against this thing. <laughs> It's, oh, it's like when you're doing that runner stretch where you push against the wall for your calves. Yeah. That's exactly what it's doing. And you know it's She-Hulk, so it's it's leaning pretty heavily on <laughs> It's probably um, some cracks running through that wall. Well, my favorite way that it, that it leans on the fourth wall is with Stu, who is the records keeper at the new law firm mm-hmm. she works at. What I love about... So he mainly gets introduced here. His real moment to shine kind of comes in the next volume. Oh, okay. But I love the whole idea of him because it's a, it, 
it was a weird quirk of the Marvel Universe for a long time that the Marvel's comic books as a thing also existed in the Marvel Universe, but they're, they're works of nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And so the, the basis, the legal basis is the idea, and obviously this is all gobbledygook, but it's there the idea. There's a lot of gobbledygook in this. There is. It's but, fun, though. But it's the idea, they present the idea that the comic book code authority, which in real life was just a, a set of rules they gave themselves about what they wouldn't wouldn't pu publish. In the Marvel Universe, that was a government agency. So any comic that carried the comics code authority approval was a legal document, a legal history representation of what it was Case that happened. Files. Yes. Yes. And so their 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 records guy is just a comic book geek with these massive amount of long boxes of comics. And I freaking love that. It's it's pretty awesome. Yeah. I, I did enjoy that aspect of it and the fact that she got to look through all these origin issues for I believe it was the Danger Man case and you know, found her own and was like, Well, this is weird <laughs> you know. I mean the since you mentioned Did I really say that? I think at one point she goes <laughs> I think the Danger Man case is an interesting one to bring up because I don't remember any other it might have happened before. I'm sure if it has, somebody will comment and correct me. Um, but I don't remember any other story with a character that upset about having gotten powers. There were plenty of characters who were angsty mm -hmm. about having gotten powers. But this guy sues because he has kind of the classic, you know, fall into waste, you get powers thing. Mm -hmm. But then he sues. And no one else will take his case because they're like, well, you have superpowers. What the heck are you upset for? <laughs> but he yeah. hates it. <laughs> he really does. Well, and he almost loses his wife and daughter over it. So you kind of understand yeah. it. And everyone's like, is he going to be a supervillain? Is that what's going to happen? And I mean, those wouldn't necessarily... Radioactive powers are not the ones I would necessarily want to no. get. So I, I get it, and I really like that aspect of it, because I was like, no, we don't hear this story very often, where he's like, oh, I'm going to use my powers for good or evil. Instead, just be like, I really don't want these. Because <laughs> when you think about it, you got, he got like, he went into a vat of like radio, radioactive material, and... Yeah, normally you would sue. <laughs> I mean, normally you would be dead. Yes, but, but I mean, that that's a worker's comp situation. That really should be. That, like, really heavily. You know, he got, he got pushed by another vat into a bigger, like, by a container of this material into a huge vat of this material. And that's pretty awful. And he would sue. Yeah. Especially if you didn't like the results of it, if they weren't death. So. <laughs> I also like in that that it kind of shows how possibly how much um, Jennifer had been riding on her She-Hulk reputation, even in court for a little bit, because her first few moves in that court case are kind of clunky. Like she, yeah, she, very showy. She well, she tries to pull the Aaron Brockovich thing. Yeah. Of. Oh, well, that material that turned him into Danger Man. I put that, it in. That's in the water you're drinking right now. And then the other lawyers start pushing each other out of the way, trying to drink this water because they think it'll give them superpowers. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. It backfires on her. She does have a really rough run of it in the first couple. Well, in the first volume mainly. Because, again, she gets fired from her first job. And then 
she gets kicked out of the Avengers Mansion, I think, pretty much the same day. Yes. Yeah, and that that happens in the same day. Kicked out of the Avengers Mansion, I believe, in the morning and then fired in the afternoon. Yeah. And she has to deal with Mallory Book, who's kind of like an ongoing character throughout these. Yeah. So it's kind of her nemesis in terms of lawyer land. Oh, and the other thing I should have mentioned, the other kind of wrinkle, is when she gets taken on by the law firm that does superhero law, one of their requirements is that she cannot appear in court as She-Hulk. She has to do it as Jennifer. Mm -hmm. Which she hates. Or the offices. But yeah, she, she ends up being She-Hulk a fair amount. Yeah, yeah. There's, she, there's some wrinkles in their own wrinkles. So. Well, there's there's stuff that happens, but yeah, it it does a really good job of establishing right off the bat that she has a very clear preference for who she who she'd rather be most of the time. I think one of my issues with this book is that the first couple volume, like the first volume, she's a party girl, and then. At first, she's not really sure about this law firm, and she doesn't want to be Jennifer. But, like, by the time the third volume rolls around or something, she's kind of, like, stopped the partying, and she's getting... She's realizing the value in being Jennifer again, and... And she's lots of character growth, right? But then mm -hmm. we hit the fifth volume, and she's fifth like, issue, you mean? Fifth issue, the... not volume. Sorry, yeah. I should say issue. I meant issues, guys. Sorry, um, I'm a little tired. Um, but she hits the fifth issue, and all of a sudden she's calling in from work, and she's gonna go shopping with this guy she's dating, and it's kind of like a setback to the first volume in terms of character growth, and that kind of annoyed me. That's fair, and unfortunately to a certain extent that I, you're not you're not wrong, and that's a fair criticism. Mm -hmm. But contextually, I would just point out that that's unfortunately a thing that kind of happens whenever a story arc ends and a new one begins, because issue four sort of marked the end of her like first real foray at the new her probationary period. Um, yeah, her, pro her probationary period at the new law firm, and then issue five is where we had the artist changeover, and you know, it it kind of signals in many ways like we're kind of starting again, and so they kind of end up reestablishing stuff that was previously established, and it's one of those things mm, that becomes a bigger problem when you read it in a collected With, volume, I and because I wonder that, why they do that and volumes where it's like now we're changing artists and completely changing the storyline and here's a half here's one that we've kind of resolved a little more than like two-thirds of the way through this volume and now we're going to have these yeah it, it's one of those things that comes up more in collections because when you read those issues back to back you go oh wait we kind of backslid whereas if you have to wait a month before you pick up the next issue it doesn't hit you quite as hard so it's yeah you, you're not wrong but it is kind of one of the quirks of monthly comic book releases yeah um can, can we talk a little bit more about some of the supporting cast yes they... we can there's they're a lot of fun especially at the law firm i really like when she first gets there because it has such a like men in black vibe it does because it, all this weird stuff is it's just going on but it's like it's just a day at the office yeah like she good glances in and she's like dr strange is here and like what you know like people are freaking out and like there's all sorts of like different species of superhumans or not even humans necessarily like waiting or meeting with people and everyone's just going about their business and she's like what is going on 
I kind of I some of the ones I wanted to highlight. I like Ditto, who is their their yeah. their resident shapeshifter, who basically is the guy who um who serves documents because he can show up at, at somebody's at door anyone. looking like anybody and get Including them to Clint Eastwood, which I found hysterical. <laughs> yes, and he just hands you know gets them to take the legal documents and then changes into you know in this weird pinkish bubblegummy shift oh, transformation is like and you've been served he's kind of like the elephants from dumbo you know when they're like the balloon he, he is what gummy yeah, yeah god when he does that change yeah because yeah. that's your clue that it's ditto is because he's always chewing and blowing pink gum mm -hmm. um but that and but then when he switches it's like the body that was chewing the gum shrinks and the gum expands and turns into what Here, his normal body stuff. is but it's a little weird there's a lot of that in this book um but th there's a character who I I knew you were going to love. And that's Awesome Andy. Yes. <laughs> Which essentially has like a big like square block of metal for a head. He j he's just got, it looks like he just it's has a like cinder block. It's a cinder block. He has a cinder, cinder block, block for a head. Yeah. So yeah, this is the Awesome Android, which was created by the supervillain, the Mad Thinker. That has been adopted by the law firm. And he's basically just kind of their office runner <laughs> he's adorable i love in the sixth beginning of the sixth volume where he's kind of like lumbering through his day and he also has this little chalkboard that he draws on and it's it's usually like little symbols to express himself and yeah. it's super cute because he has no face it's just, when i say it's a it's like a block of concrete on his head it's blank there's no he has no yeah. Yeah, mouth he has no his, voice like, facial expressions or anything so yeah I just want to like cuddle his cinder black huge cinder black head it would be very like cold and hard but <laughs> he's just adorable well, he also gets a really nice highlight at the end because I mentioned there's there's kind of a jailbreak that goes on which is orchestrated by his creator. Yeah, by the mad thinker. Lots of spoilers in this by the way. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's kind of what happens. But what was fun about that, because the Mad Thinker's whole deal is that he can predict future outcomes basically to a 99% accuracy. Yeah, there was a lot of that in this book. Yeah, so he does all that, and but the way he always gets defeated is there's always the one thing he didn't think of. Because, because his predictions are so accurate, he comes up with crazy elaborate plans. Whereas if he just did stuff straightforward, he'd probably win all the time. But he expects every domino to fall exactly so he sets up so many but then there's just the one that doesn't quite go and in this case it's awesome andy who doesn't listen to him and he was expecting him to i don't I think he anticipated southpaw um turning oh he did oh he definitely did yeah no well i mean at the very last protecting her grandfather um i i don't think he didn't call for that because he still got away like all the other crooks got captured but he was still getting away and he didn't really care about yeah and he was stuck with awesome Andy, and yeah. that that he didn't anticipate yes okay i can see what because yeah he made it very clear that he, some people were going to not make it and he was fine with that yeah he was out he was out for himself so i don't i i think if he didn't 100 percent anticipate southpaw switching sides he was at least accounting it as a possibility okay all right fair enough uh, but I mean, I think I think you're not wrong that some of the the middle of this particular volume is a little bit. I don't want to say flabby, but it's a little less engaging because honestly, there's not a lot of fights in there too. It's a lot more of the focusing on like serving the documents, going to court, 
little bit of sparring with Mallory. Um, I did like the flirting with Pug, though. <laughs> I really enjoyed Augustus Puglisi, I think is his name or something. Yep, that's him. Um, they were adorable together. I, you know, his kind of hero worship of Spider-Man for saving him. That was cute. That was brutal, too, that they, the way they beat him with, like, picking up the, I don't know what it's called when you have those lines and you're standing in line and there's the ropes and you oh. took the metal bar from those and like beat them with the round end of it. I was like, holy moly. Um, I, let's talk about the art briefly because there is the artist changeover and I think I kind of prefer the art in the first few issues. I think I do a little bit, but I don't really mind it in the second one there is a great panel where mallory is throwing shade about jennifer and she's in the shade and i like that detail. <laughs> like her face is shadowed and i was like throwing shade in the shade yeah <laughs> um i mean they're, they're both good the art both works but the um the art in the in the first half by uh juan um babillo is it's a bit more stylized. It's a little bit more cartoonish, and I, more often than not, I tend to prefer that because it's more distinct. It's more unique. Mm. Whereas the art in the back half is good, but it's a bit more standard house style. Yeah. Art. Yeah. Um, I think Jennifer comes off in Jennifer form as opposed to She-Hulk, um, sort of cuter in the first four volumes too. Yeah. It's like. The just tinier, tiny little nose. She's she's like she's very um, she's very mousy. In, yes, a, a and drawing. I did like that about her because it was such a contrast to She-Hulk. And oh. it, it is a great contrast. I think that's one of the things I really liked about this book um, is that there is a great contrast between the personality and the appearance of and just the whole attitude of Jennifer versus She-Hulk. Especially if you get that, and you get that flashback to her in her college days. Yeah. And just that whole internal struggle she has with that, so. Um, there's a lot of, like, great little scenes that I also love. There's a, there's the scene at the bar early on mm -hmm. where third-rate villain, um, the Blizzard shows up, who's basically the Marvel Universe Captain Cold. That it's the same deal. He has a freeze Not gun. Nearly as Not nearly as awesome and hot. No, but I'm a big fan of Captain Cold and Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah, but he he comes in and he he freezes She Hulk and he's like, I'm gonna make you pay. I'm not gonna be thirsty. She just breaks out of the ice and he's like, Ah, oh, crap. And he's like, Oh, great. Just send me back to the vault, which is the jail. And she's like, Nah. You want a drink? And then we get a page of the two of them just drinking together because this is after she's been fired and, and kicked out. And, kicked out. <laughs> and, a, and naturally, given her metabolism, she drinks him under the table. Literally. Hard. Yes. He falls over. Yep. Yeah. There, there are a lot of great details. There's <coughs> so many cameos by... Um, both superheroes and supervillains, and it's a lot to keep track of. I did a lot of looking up people in this. Um, oh, this thing is really cute when he comes in. 
to help her move her stuff over. Oh, Ben's the best. Ben, ben Grimm. So ben Grimm is the best. He's awesome. There's a lot of like adorably like sweet, like huge muscular guys in this. Like between Pug and Ben and um, awesome Andy. There's there's a lot of like sweet lumbering guys in this. Yeah, and yeah, and most most of them in the first half because again, I think that art style lends itself to the the sort of hulking but cute yes body it shape. Is cute. Well, the first half, first four issues. Um, yeah, I guess my issue with the whole ghost case was like at first she seemed really jealous. The, the girlfriend that he was spending time with this plane, but then he really loved her, and so when he d got murdered, he was like, well, I'm going to blame it on her, which is a horrible thing to do, is like try to get your girlfriend the love of your life to get the death penalty so you can stay with her. My gosh, that was just... It's, it's, pre it's pretty messed up. And... I just didn't like, and there had been a little bit of jealousy in the Danger Man thing because Danger Man's wife was thinking about how he would get with all these like superheroes now and everything, and I was just like, ah, this jealousy thing is silly. And Pug has a little bit of jealousy later on for her, but they're not established enough that like it plays out in the same like toxic way as it does in the beginning of volumes. I think the issue there might be the the recurring use of it because I I think I could make an argument for, yeah. for its use in say the ghost case because it's kind of central to what that plot that is but it is just kind of in there randomly as a side note for like the danger man thing and with pug so it, it keeps cropping up and it gets for no reason yeah for no reason other than I guess this is a thing. Oh, so, yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Yeah, I mean, like I I could argue it. Merit seems a strong word. I could argue its use in the ghost case, but you pointing out that it is kind of a recurring thing. And like, it, yeah, it that's not worth defending. It wasn't really necessary in the Danger Man one at all. Like that whole panel where she's like thinking that he's daydreaming about, or she's daydreaming about him getting with these superheroes. That's not really the reason she leaves. Even. No. So I'm not sure why it's there, and it just kind of annoyed me and. Then to have the central plot in the next issue be about the ha revolve a little round jealousy it's just it made me annoyed so yeah um yeah. um another um, I'm kind of just jumping around at this point another okay. another little moment I love is the the workout in the in the oh office oh my gosh so yes. you've got you've got pug you know really working up a sweat you've got Jennifer as She-Hulk, literally just using her toe to work the machine. While she's just, she looks like she's lounging and she's just there like sucking on a lollipop. Yeah, she, she might as well be by the pool. And yeah. and But then there's Andy in the background doing Tai Chi with the last image Oops. of him balancing <laughs> yes, on his head. Yes, that was adorable. Like, so zen. Balancing like, on his flat head with his fingers in kind of the om. Yeah. It's oh god, it's genius, and it's actually in many Andy ways a really adorable. good setup because it's showing how centered he is right now, <laughs> which is which is why the Mad Thinker can't just order him around anymore. Not only is it cute, it's almost foreshadowing, which is He's awesome. Too zen. Yes, <laughs> you, you you cannot harsh my mellow. I am too zen. <laughs> uh, 
You so, blockhead, Andy. <laughs> literally. <laughs> literally. Uh, um, any thoughts on Southpaw? I remember her mostly as a plot function and not as much as a character, at least in this volume. I kind of liked her. I liked that she had some rage and we got to know why um, with her parents' death. And I like that she was just like, stop trying to control me and make me evil, which is very typical because she's 15 and she's going to yeah. yell at her grandpa. Yeah. So she made sense to me. Um, it made sense that Jennifer was, like, horrified that she was going to become, like, her guardian and protector, and that was Holloway's plan all along. Which I also kind of liked that we found out that he created this law firm and did all this, these things basically to protect his granddaughter. And I, she's horrified by that, but I'm like... Yeah, he had ulterior motives, but he still did a lot of good. Yeah. You know? And that's kind of reality. Like, sometimes a lot of good comes out of someone doing something that's kind of selfish. Like, Well, you know, we there's, there's the common phrase collateral damage. There can be collateral good. That is a thing that can happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In this case, it does. So. Yeah. Which is kind of refreshing. Um, that was just a fun two volumes. All these super villains in prison. I love that they shrunk them all and they're like yeah. in these little boxes with these giant guards and kind of all thrown in together. Um, that leads for a lot of fun and silly puns. Um, it's just, I think those are my, I mean, I don't like the art as much, but in terms of plot and storyline, those are probably my favorite it, that That is a wonderfully ridiculous plot the the tiny tiny supervillains escaping because uh. like they're so we, we get one panel they're so tiny they like leap off this security guard's hand onto um she hulk's hand and we get this shot of them dodging her hair the hair follicles on her wrist because they're so freaking small and i mean a lot of them i didn't know but they were just ridiculous like the eight ball and the tiger shark yeah i'm like... not sure who that is that's dragon man Oh We've got God. the rhino in the background there. I think that's the absorbing man. Oh, and we got a reoccurrence of Scorpion, who did not fare so well the second. Well, he didn't fare well in either one, but... He... At this point, Scorpion has become one of those punching bag villains. Mm -hmm. So he... <laughs> and, and he serves that function here, as you would expect. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's... It's a... It, I, I know I like it more than you do, but it... I liked it. I... It's... It's got... I have notes, as you would put it. Yes. I like it, but I have some notes. Um, <laughs> but it's it's a fun meta romp. It's... Honestly, I don't... I don't have any expectation that it would happen. But this is the property and the premise that I want Marvel to do as a TV show. It would I, be a lot of fun. I think it would be great because you could have a case by case yeah like, i fun it it would allow it be as expensive as it it could I'll be but it. i it would allow you for an episodic story that so i mean it would be better suited to abc rather than netflix but it would give you a self-contained maybe a two-parter every now and then for here's the case this episode mm -hmm. and i mean it would it be ally mcbeal but she's she's seven feet tall and green i mean i i would watch the hell out of that 
I would definitely watch it. I would tune in. I would hope for more of the crazy prison break storylines or the danger man as opposed to the jealous ghosts. Yeah, fair enough. Like, mess. <laughs> <laughs> but, so that is She-Hulk Volume 1. Mm -hmm. Um... So that that does I think that gets a recommendation from both of us, just a slightly more enthusiastic one from me. It gets a I like it, yeah, <laughs> <For> me. Fun <laughs> <laughs> me. <laughs> so uh, we're gonna do a quick promotional break, and then we'll come back and respond to some of your listener feedback. Welcome back to listener feedback. Before we get to it, a quick announcement: Punch Like a Girl T-shirts are now available at the Fire and Water Network Tee Public uh, page. We'll be putting a link in the um, description of this episode over at Fire and Water Network. So, our awesome logo. T-shirts. Our awesome logo you can get on actually almost anything. You could get it on any style of t-shirt you want, or a coffee mug, or a pillow. How awesome would that be? Um, so now that we've got the plugging out of the way, uh, we had a number of comments, um, some on past episodes, one on the most recent episode. The most recent episode, we had Curdy Van Luli on to talk about to dance, and Tim Price commented, hi, Liz and Nathaniel. Hi, Tim. Hi, Tom. Another fun episode, Curdy was a welcome addition. Her knowledge of dance as a lifestyle was a great addition for this book, and you all sounded like you were having fun discussing it, made for good listening. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it helps that, like, she's our friend and we know her, so there was none of that awkward, like, can we find the vibe? Like, no, let's just chat about this. Yes, exactly. She's good stuff. Definitely. Tim continues, Of course, I kept thinking of Roller Girl and Astrid's friend who was in dance camp, and they shared hurt feet stories. Definitely not enough awareness of the pain and commitment it takes for ballet. I think I actually got the idea to do dance when I was reading Roller Girl. I was like, oh, I know something that goes into this a little more. <laughs> so, yeah. Makes sense. I don't think you told me that. No, I might have forgotten to tell you. <laughs> I d How dare you not let me in onto every part thought of your in thought my process? Brain, yeah, you would never hear the end of it. <laughs> your thoughts are not your own. They belong to me. Uh-huh. Tim... Tim <laughs> <laughs> Tim, I love how I do this big boy show that you shut me down with just two syllables. Love mm -hmm. it. Uh, <laughs> Tim continues, I looked at the preview of To Dance online. Gosh, there's something so appealing about the artwork. The kids have simple joy on their faces contrasted with the stark emotion of the Bolshoi performance. That's not enough to get a feel for the plot. The plot! <laughs> But quite intriguing. Apparently, that's what he tends to think of now from our... I think it was um, Ghost in the Shell. We bemoan. Oh, we bemoan the plot, the plot kicking oh. in again. Oh, no! Not the plot! The plot. Yeah. Um, and he went on. There's, uh, there's some nice use of color to convey the mood. Not sure mm, if I'll pick it true. up, but very interesting. Um, and also, he had his addition on the short hair, long hair heroes <laughs> That's conversation. That's quite the discussion. <laughs> it is ongoing. Um, <clears throat> because the topic of Wolfsbane came up, um, which I disputed because of how high her hair is. I mean, it's not, you know, going down her back, but it's a lot of hair. Tim's thoughts on it were, hmm, I still think Rain Sinclair, a.k.a. Wolfsbane, counts for short hair, but then I'm only thinking of her original look, not recent versions. Uh, and he included a link 
to uh, to sort of his image of Wolf Spain, which I'm actually gonna pull it up if my phone will cooperate. Oh yeah. Oh okay yeah. So for for your thought on her, yeah. See, I know her from the '90s where she had this massive weird. It, like it looks like her hair exploded and then froze at the outmost point. I'm gonna have to look into this. Yeah, now it's uh, um, thanks, punchers. Yes, we love. I love that he calls us that. Punchers. Now. <laughs> now I know how Chris Franklin that, feels. That was not that hard. <laughs> um, we also had a couple comments on past issues from Nathan Yu. Um, the first one being on the Ms. Marvel episode. All right. So, hello again, Liz and Nathaniel. Great discussion of Ms. Marvel's first trade. As someone with well-stocked local library and a lot of with a well-stocked local library and a lot of time on their hands, I'm pleased to inform you that the following issue does in fact develop the supporting cast with Bruno. Amir, Kamala's mom, and yes, even Zoe getting subplots that evolve the characters without feeling untrue to their established personas. I'm not going to spoil them, so you'll have to go, you'll have to read ahead to find out, and we do want to do more. Yes. I want to read, at least personally, more of um, Ms. Marvel, and maybe also, um, maybe review another one. Mm -hmm. uh, good work and carry on punching, preferably <laughs> with embiggened fists. Oh yes, and beginning. Embiggen bash. Oh, and here we have a P.S. Could you please plug my new podcast, Brothers in Time, where me and my brothers discuss episodes of Doctor Who. That's one of your favorite things. I do now need to check that out. Who, um, available on SoundCloud. If, if you will, thanks. And if you won't, well. well it's already too late because you're reading this on air, and my plan to marginally inflate my li listenership is complete. Mwahaha. Oh, that's a dastardly plan. You, you magnificent bastard. Oh, we would have plugged it anyways. Yeah, we, yeah, we would have. We're, we're pushovers. Especially for Doctor Who. At least you are. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I need to know more Doctor Who. Well, I, I like the like two that I've seen. I. I'm working on it, folks. We'll, we'll get her there. Um, but he also left a comment on Nimona, also making a somewhat Doctor Who related comment. He chimed in on our discussion of shape-shifting characters and their preferred default bodies. Uh -huh. And he brought up the character of Frobisher, um, who is a Doctor Who character, although unfortunately to my continued disappointment, not a character who has appeared in the show. He appears in the comics, and I think maybe even some of the audios, um, but he has not appeared on screen yet. But Nathan says, by the way, Frobisher is also a private detective who speaks in a Brooklyn accent, morphs mm. himself into a pair of black and white pants to protect his <laughs> modesty. Yeah. So he his preferred shape is a penguin with a with a Brooklyn accent and a pair of pants. That, That's kind of awesome. That right. that aren't actually real clothes. It's still all just him, but it gives him a sense of modesty all the same. Nicely done. I am always a fan of penguins. So I would, if I could shapeshift, I would definitely be a penguin sometimes. Also, I would be a T-Rex a lot because I <laughs> my arms and roar and stomp around. And definitely a velociraptor. But Clever I would need a girl. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that'll wrap it up for this one, folks. 
So by all means, leave, leave feedback on this episode. Leave feedback on past episodes. As you've just heard, we're happy to talk about them. So thanks so much for listening, everybody. See you next time. Thank you. See ya. Punch Like a Girl is a Council of Geeks production. This show is presented on the Fire & Water Network, and feedback can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at punchlikeagirl1. The theme music is composed and recorded by Erica Dreisbach, whose other works can be found at ericaricardo.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye! Bye! Sorry, I messed that up. It's okay, I can edit it. Well, also, there were typos on it, so I was like, I'm trying to figure this out while I'm reading. I can edit it. Okay. I I won't, but I can. (laughs) Fair enough.